Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am thrilled to have Julia McKenzie with me, who is commissioning editor for comedy and entertainment at Radio 4, which is the biggest commissioner for audio comedy in the world and much beloved uh, where I live in the UK and beyond. And prior to that, Julia was creative director of BBC Studios Audio for seven years, specializing in comedy and entertainment production. So I have so many audio and comedy related questions for you, Julia. But before we dive in, is there anything else that you'd love people to know about you and your connections to comedy? Hmm, uh, not particularly, no. I suppose, as, you, as you've outlined, I'm now the commissioner and I previously was was in production. I ran up that team, and then prior to that, I was I was a producer working in the comedy department. I joined that in two thousand and seven, I think it was. And previously, I was in live radio for a good few years, and tended to work with a lot of comedians. Then um, it was a station called GLR, which became famous for lots of brilliant people who, who started out there, people like Phil Jupitus and Chris Evans and Danny mm. Baker and uh, Chris Morris and Sean Hughes, you know, lots and lots of comedians had shows on that local radio station. And um, I also took over the job of producing the big um, Children in Need fundraising night at mm. Shepherd's Bush Empire, which I did for about six years as well. So there's something about working with comedians and the particular joy of the way they break their brains work that really attracts me and so I was so excited to then be able to exclusively concentrate on comedy and now to be commissioning it is just like you know the perfect job arc yeah. in a way. Oh I love that and um, when you sort of think back through that tremendous arc um, do you does it stick in your mind what some of those first crucial steps were for you because I think sometimes that can be what's most opaque to people is how to start getting that experience that starts moving them particularly if they're a creative person and might be interested in lots of aspects of comedy or writing do you remember what some of your first steps were that seem important mm. well I think uh, as I say I've been in audio a good long while and I started mm. out doing work experience really to just get some some hands-on experience of any type of audio uh, and that was really useful because it gives you a bedrock and I wasn't mm. at the very start doing comedy but I guess it's just it's the things that um, inspire you and make you tick and for some people it would be journalism and factual things and they think that's why I'd really love to do investigative journalism and that you know interests you in your ordinary life and whereas I was re really drawn to comedians you know on the on the tv going out to see comedy gigs going to the edinburgh festival long before i started professionally and and when i first joined glr it was um i think it was hearing um hearing some of the the presenters on air and just feeling it was quite anarch anarchic and different mm. and really gravitating towards that and then i suppose you just get a foot on the ladder where you're in the same building as them, but you might not necessarily work with them directly, but you get some basic production skills and then you can try and make sure that you get experience in the areas you're really passionate about. So I suppose it's trying to get yourself into the right place, getting those mm. basic skills and then making your kind of preferences um, clear to the people who are in a position to, you know, Get, get you onto those shows really and your enthusiasm and, and so on so you have to create your opportunities in many ways I think rather than just hoping mm. that it's going to happen just try and see ways that you can really influence it so so that it does um, 
And I guess even though I in local radio I started progressing up the management ladder and further away from production, I always that little light was burning inside me. So I made the decision to jump off management, go back down mm. a level, and go into production of comedy. Um, so I guess yeah, it's just staying focused on the things that um, inspire you and. Um, you know, it's just, it's a joy, isn't it, to be able to bring an interest that you really like doing in your personal life um, or that makes you happy and, and combine it with your work field. Mm. And not everyone gets to do that. And it's a real privilege. You know, you can obviously, I could have carried on attending comedy and, and loving comedy and done and gone on a different path, maybe a more journalistic path. And the two could have been sort of parallel. But that, that joy of being able to bring the two together was really special but I think a lot of people won't even know that there is a place that specializes in making comedy for instance mm. so it just requires sort of getting in there and listening to as much stuff as you can so that you can be as informed as possible when you're you're trying to you know start a career and and actually when I was at studios increasingly there were quite a lot of stand-ups who were interested in getting in production so I recruited two different um stand-ups who are still active stand-ups who also were interested in being producers and they had real good intuition mm. in that space so that's something that's happening a lot more now so you could be a professional in comedy but you want a bit more of a secure um, income and you could perhaps combine the two and look to do a production role as well as continuing with your comedy career as a performer. Mm, that's interesting advice. And also um, potentially for people who, because lots of the people who listen to this podcast are writers um, and some are writer performers as well, but lots are primarily writers. But interesting to think about how a writer might also combine that with that production experience. So actually, yeah. yeah, I wanted to well, ask that's you. Right. Yeah, so that I think there are a few examples I can think of as well who are mm. not so performer oriented, but were writers and just really interested in getting under the bonnet of things and mm. you know because it's all about production is all about realizing the vision of the creative person you're working with and as a writer you you obviously can write your own thing in your own voice but also to earn a living in comedy as a writer you might well write for other comedians and try to get inside their head and I think a lot of writers are quite um you know they're instinctively good on formats and mm. and and so on and and good at thinking off the cuff and um it's a skill they don't often get to use which is thinking about formats and things like you know panel shows and rounds and and devising things like that so definitely would encourage writers who 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 sorry this is a bit of a waffly waffly no answer. it's fascinating well <laughs> it's, it's really got my I'm brain going no it's really got my brain going thinking about formats because um Myself as a as a writer, I am that mix of yes, being very creative, but I also actually really am such a like structure format geek as well. I love how things are arranged. I love how, like you say, we get under the bonnet and do that too. So um, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And that's got me thinking about production in a whole new way. Actually, um, I think I've seen them as more separate than is needed. Mm. Um, and actually, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you because I think. Um, I think it's personally really useful to have a really good understanding of other people's jobs. Like I, I started in theatre, I think it's useful to understand that you can have a much better conversation when you actually understand what a lighting technician is trying to do. Um, I wanted to ask from 
you manage a team of producers, as I understand, and from the kind of feedback that you get from them and the conversations that you have and your own experience as well, without having to name names, what do you think are some of the things that writers do that make other people's jobs easier and make their kind of creative flow move better? And what are some of the things that they do that they might not be aware of, but that can actually just make the process more difficult than is needed? Because we don't always... um, as humans, we try to be empathetic, but we don't always have that understanding of what a producer's really trying to do or what a commissioner's really trying to do. So in terms of meta patterns for writers, I know it's a really difficult question. <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, well, I used to I used to run a team of producers when I was okay. production side, yeah, yeah. Um, at BBC Studios. So I, I don't now. Um, now I have different production companies pitching ideas to me right. and that, that's how I interact with, with them and creativity. But yes, in terms of, of, of writers, I suppose, do you mean, for instance, how a writer could work effectively with a producer, say, if they're writing a sitcom or a sketch show? Do you mean it in that yeah, sense? Yeah, a sitcom or comedy drama would be a lovely angle. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose then there's lots of different types. You know, there is the, the writer who writes their, their own sitcom script, uh, uh, which they might do by themselves or, or with someone else. And I guess, you know, in terms of a productive relationship with the producer it's it's really about you know I I suppose you know essentially it you've got to find the person that you vibe with Mm. first and so you could end up sending a speculative script to a number of people and you know you might the first person that you have a coffee with you might not quite gel with and they might have a let's say for instance you sent them a script and you you meet up to talk to them about it it might be they don't quite get it or they start talking to you about things that you might do differently and either that's going to as a writer make you go oh wow that's interesting I haven't thought of it like that and then you, you start to get real collaboration and you're like I'm so excited about this direction you're right I'm gonna you know change it to go in that direction or you might sit there thinking they didn't really get it and you know that character they didn't like and you know it wasn't what I intended and they might make suggestions and you think oh no that's not right at all and some people might think oh well I've still got to sort of pursue that relationship and try and bend myself to Mm. kind of get on the same page as that person so that's the first thing which is really fundamental is why don't you have another meeting or two with some other producers before you make a decision on who you want to write with? Because, mm. you know, the chemistry has got to be right, hasn't it? And sometimes that producer might say things to you that you disagree with, but on reflection, you think, do you know what? They're right. I, I was holding on to that character or I really like that particular bit of the plot, but you know what? I think they're right. So the, can be that sort of dynamic as well. So, so I think that's just the first fundamental thing. Check that you're you're meeting with the right person because that could well be a an ongoing relationship that you'll have for many years, and it could really shape your career. There's someone I work with with many for many years, a guy called David Reed, who is one of the Penny Dreadfuls sketch mm. group, and um, I think in the end we must have done about ten plays. And that was a really fruitful relationship. And, you know, I, I gave him notes that sometimes he he disagreed with, but we seemed to have mutual respect. And, um, you know, we we ended up with, with stuff that we were both really pleased with. I think what you don't want is um, a writer who's continually pushing back on all of the notes. And it's up to the producer to give the right note. And you know what I mean by a note. I know you will, Danielle, but, you know, what I mean is feedback on lines and 
and, and that sort of thing. We, we, we tend to refer to them as giving notes. Mm. Um, but if it's a constant b- battle, that's going to be exhausting for both parties. The writer's not going to feel heard and the producer is just going to get exhausted and think, I just really don't have the, the time to sort of battle through every note. And um, as, as some people have said in the past, you know, writing is rewriting mm. and you can often need to do many drafts before you get, you know, the... the piece of work into to the right shape so I suppose it's just about I know what it's like as well as a producer to get feedback and sometimes your back can go up you know I've had it mm. from execs when I was you know in a more junior role and you can feel defensive around them but if you try to remember that they're not going to be personal and it's trying to get your your piece of work as good as it possibly can be I think you know ideally that's the sort of mindset you want to approach um it it with as a, as a writer um, so I suppose that's, you know, in just quite broad terms. Basic mm. term is, you know, make sure you, you get the right chemistry with the right person to collaborate with. And then secondly, try not to be defensive around notes. And if you don't really understand it, you know, it, it's up to the producer to try and explain what their thinking is there. And sometimes it might be that it's a bad note. Mm. Um, but, um, or absurd. But then afterwards you think, well, there clearly wasn't something quite right with that. And I, I don't agree with what they'd identified, but clearly there's something I'm trying to communicate that is not coming over. Mm. So let me have another look at that again. And, you know, that can yeah. be another way to approach that. That makes um, a lot of sense. And it's very yeah. helpful. Thank you. And you've, um, because of your role, like, as I say, being commissioning editor now, and I read a little bit of the information I could find online about what that pitching process looks like. And if I've understood it correctly, it is like independent companies and in-house but even those words when I kind of think what does that actually mean seems um, a little bit baffling from the outside so I was I was curious if um, you wouldn't mind just giving people a little bit of an overview of what that might be um, how that process works and I know it can be different at different times or if it's easier to come at it from the angle of like what are some of the misconceptions when like you tell people your job and they say oh I'm a comedy writer and how they think that's going to match up just to kind of clear, yeah. clear up some of the ground a bit. Yeah, sure. Well, well, I suppose on the on the the, the latter one, the, the mistakes people make or, or misconceptions, is that you know, in terms of of commissioning, we we take submissions from production companies, not individuals. So sometimes I will get approached by individuals saying, "I've written this thing. Um, uh, please, would you consider commissioning it?" And we can only commission through production companies. So first of all, you need to find yourself a production company to work with. And you can, I think there'll probably be lists on perhaps things like Audio UK, um, but on the simplest level, you can also listen to some of the comedy on Radio 4 and um, we'll have a look at it in the Sounds app and then see the company is often listed uh, as part of that. And then you can you can start to think, oh, I, yeah, I like the style of that producer. I feel like my stuff is in the same area as them, so I might approach them and see if they'd be interested in, in representing my work. So that's one of the basics. Um, with comedy, we, we commission in commissioning rounds. And that's because there's just a huge volume of, of stuff I commission on a yearly basis. So therefore, it's helpful to compare different people's submissions. And so the commissioning round gives everyone a brief, same brief they read, and a deadline and some sort of structure to how they submit ideas. And then I can compare them side, side by side, really and then take a view about whether to take them forward and get more information. 
And you can find out more about that process by going to www.bbc.co.uk slash commissioning. And then you can find all of the commissioning for TV and radio on that bit of the website. And if you click around a bit, you'll, you'll find a bit where it says, I think it's got a BBC Sounds logo and it says BBC Sounds and Radio. So go into there and you'll find out the latest commissioning briefs. So in there will also be my, my colleague, my drama commissioning buddy. We'll have her stall set out and, and the factual commissioner and the arts commissioner as well. And we've just published those. So uh, we're recording this in, in January 24 and we've just published the commissioning brief for comedy. So you can go and have a look at that. And I say a little bit gen generally about the genre and then talk about some of the slots and opportunities. And I also list some of the previous commissions so you can get a sense of what's gone before and so that you don't offer the exact same thing again. And then, as I say, this is um, um, production companies who pitch this. So they will, if they're all registered suppliers, and you can find more about that process on the website, they then get an email to let them know that the commissioning round is open and live and they, they can access the brief. And then we'll also do something like it's called a commissioning tour where myself and my commissioning co colleagues will go around uh, to a few different bases in the UK talking more directly to suppliers, suppliers meaning production companies yeah. who want to pitch for work. And, you know, the, the, overwhelmingly they are independent production companies. In-house doesn't does exist in a small way now with a company called BBC Audio, and but they're mainly factual mm. producers and some drama producers. In comedy, there is BBC Studios where I used to work, but that's a, a it is now a, an independent. It's part of the BBC Group, but it competes with other indies for for work from me. And then there's heaps and heaps, dozens and dozens of independent production companies. Some are really small, so they could just be one person. And um, when they get a commission, they might then hire freelancers to help them make the shows uh, or others might be, um, you know, a handful of people uh, that work in that company. Um, and so then the first stage is uh, we, we have a deadline, which we call short proposals. And then you have to submit 300 words outlining maximum of 300 words outlining your idea. And you should do that having read the brief and, and uh, probably attended one of the um, you know, commissioning moments. And we do live stream the, the one that we do in London in the radio theatre. And then I get an awful lot of offers at that point mm -hmm. and I will have to reject a great deal. As many people say, unfortunately, commissioning is all about saying no, yeah. <laughs> which doesn't sound much fun, does it? Yeah. But it is the nature of the job, is that you commission fewer things than you will reject, um, I'm afraid to say. Um, so I will reject quite a lot of things at that 300-word stage. And then um, about a third of those I'll take forward to the next stage where they get to flesh out their idea into sort of two pages of A4. And I'll have a little meeting uh, and, and chat to them more about their idea and what I need them to flesh out and any questions I might have around that. So does that give you a decent overview? Yeah, it does. Reason? It gives a lovely practical overview and <clears throat> really great for writers to be thinking about, even if they're not uh, ready for this round, to be thinking, what does that look like for my current project? So I love that. Thank you. And 
because you are at the level that you are and do have this perspective on audio comedy that not many of us do have, um, what are you excited about or, or if you think it's uh, challenges you see coming, uh, if that's a better way to take it in terms of the even bigger landscape when we've got things like Audible and Spotify and um, these other companies too, when you're thinking about like writers who really love audio but um, are struggling to make sense of the landscape do you sort of have any insights or practical ways for them to think about what that looks like or is it very similar that really you still need to be matching to production companies well the the yes well let's see the there's a sort of lower barrier to entry now in terms of getting your content out there um, because yes, you know, if you want to get stuff on Radio Four, you will need to work with a production company and go through a pitching system uh, to be successful. Um, but uh, and the same, I would imagine for Audible and Spotify. I don't think they sort of take individually produced things, but maybe someone knows differently. Um, but of course, anyone can create create their own content and put it out there, whether that's on YouTube or um, you want to do it on Instagram or TikTok even. Um, or, or Yeah, uh, so, so th- there's no one stopping you doing that. You, there's a bit of rudimentary software, but you could also just do it on a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I suppose that's in a way my competition as well as the likes of Audible who have a lot on Spotify, who have a lot of money to to throw at, at big name talent. Um, but you can, you can be very successful with your own podcast commercially, as we know, and you can do well with advertised revenue and, and you know, make a living that way. For writers, maybe it's a bit more challenging. You know, there, there have been some famous um, scripted podcasts that have done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, wooden overcoats. Now that that's quite an old example. Now, isn't it? That's good, good many years old. But that was, uh, you know, really quite complex sitcom that ha- had many series of it, and possibly it's still going. I'm not sure actually. And there's been sort of imp- improv-based uh, mm. sitcoms as well that have done very well. Um, so, I guess you know. Often advice for performers will be there's no substitute for getting out there and performing. So if you're an aspire, aspiring comedian, you, you probably really need to just start making your, your content. Mm. And whether that's going on a, to an open mic night in a comedy club or whether it's starting to publish, you know, some short form TikToks or, or Instagram or just being incredibly witty on X or whatever mm. social media platform that is doing a joke a day or something. And then writing, I suppose it's it's no different to that. You know, how can you get your your written content out there? Is that collaborating with mm. with someone who's a great performer that you really like? Um, is it working with other writers to, to to script content, or you know, is it going that sort of written medium like you know X or blogs or whatever? So, I suppose it's um, you you don't need to wait for a commissioner to validate your work really in that sense. Um, slightly lost trail of no that's great I did want to ask you a follow-on from that if Mm. um with the commissioning process 
clearly like the well I'm projecting here but I'm from the way that you've described and things that I've read like the the concept and the idea is really strong needs to be really strong and are are there any things that you think help people um connect the dots when they have like self-generated work because for example um I'm in I'm interested in writing fiction and often people ask the question like do you need to have a lot of Twitter followers to be able to get a book deal and uh, right now the kind of standard advice is um for fiction i.e not non-fiction but for fiction where it's a novel actually no still the concept and the book is the most important part but it's not going to hurt if you've got lots of followers different Mm. for non-fiction and that people often are looking for that brand or that um credibility to be able to back it up if it is then you know a a book on a particular topic or it needs to be from a particular person who already has an audience and so when you're thinking about the when people are working with productionists and and commission and commissioners um how important do you think that sort of other part that sort of brand that voice twitter followers having self-generated content is or can people, do you till still take things for people that's really based on the strength of the writing and the idea? And I know that's probably not an easy question to answer, but any thoughts would be really helpful. And you're asking that from mainly for a point of view of a non-performing writer. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, as you say, it's, it's, it, maybe it's quite it's quite a hard one to, to make a general answer on. But, yeah. um, you know, I, yes, I suppose... If you if you deliver a knockout pitch in your in your three hundred words, which is just really compelling and funny to read, mm. uh, and it's got these, let's say it's it's for a sitcom idea, and it's just got these really funny, distinctive, um, bold sitcom characters, and the premise is really you know gettable, and you sort of think, oh, I think this could run and run. Mm. Then I suppose I'm the next stage is I'm like, so who is this writer? Yeah. Wait, have I heard of them? If I haven't, um, what else have they done? Mm. Um, ideally, when I'd be pitched, the producer would include a bit of biog and a bit of information, you know. So yeah. so-and-so has, has, you know, previously written on this sitcom or has written this book or writes this blog, um, has, has, you know, been a contributor to this sketch show, just to give me a sense of their credentials and that they can deliver you know, deliver to deadline, deliver consistently, um, you know, what it, it would help me with comedy to think that they've got some comedy experience behind them. You know, mm. if they've just done some theatre and they come from a drama background, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, there's clearly comedy potential here, but I'm just a bit worried, you know, about, you know, really what their comedy chops are beyond this paragraph. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, I would be, it would be nice to then be, looking up oh there are they've got this credit on this short film or mm. oh that's the the you know if they're a comic writer oh they've got a profile on x and actually they've, they've got some really funny tweets here that shows something of their personality they can craft a nice sentence and mm. there's, there's a bit of engagement from people um or they've written this blog it might not have a huge audience but it's really funny and well expressed um you know, or you'd have some sample scripts, you know, even if you hadn't been commissioned, you might have written some sample scripts that you can share with me. Uh, at that stage, I might just read the first 10 pages to get flavour. Um, but, you you know, you just need to provide some evidence. It's like, you know, if you if you had someone coming around to do... Um, do some work on your, on your home. Yeah. Um, you know, you... And they... You would want some evidence of their past work, wouldn't you? 
Absolutely. And um, so you could go, oh, I see, yes, no, that, that's good. And, you know, well, the reviews are good or, you know, I see they won't trash my home or whatever. I don't know. It's probably a terrible <laughs> analogy. But no, you know what I mean? It's, it's not surprising, given the competitive field, that I would be looking for evidence of that person yeah. sort of being motivated and, and writing and cracking on. I think you just can't, as a writer, sort of sit there thinking that you are, hmm. you know, a future star, um, but yet really haven't put yourself out there by writing much yeah. and just expecting me to off the bat just say yeah fine no problem I'll commission six half hours please you know yeah yeah and um I really enjoyed reading the um there was a press release that came out on uh, Blue Monday in the UK of uh the like the roster of shows which just looks it just looks so exciting so I wanted to ask you from that um the role that pilots still play um because we might have all kinds of assumptions and we still use the word like pilot for sort of TV or whatever, but it'd be lovely to have like an up-to-date sense of like the really practical role that pilots still play. Um, like for example, I'm really curious to how they get evaluated, how that works, like uh, anything about pilots would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and in fact, I, I was going to talk about pilots as part of this commissioning tour. So mm. that's interesting you picked up on that. And yes, with that press release, there were so many other shows I really wanted yeah. to mention because I commissioned so many, but, you know, the advice was, you know, you just can't list everything. It's not a shopping list. So there, were, there was some, there's some stuff on the way that I haven't even included in there. So it's yeah. exciting, exciting year in prospect. Yeah. Pilots are really useful. And in fact, a stage before that with a scripted thing is, is I would commission a script potentially. Mm. So, you know, I might think, Oh, I like the concept of this. I might see some sample scenes, which can be really helpful. Um, you know, I'm conscious of asking writers to do stuff for free, you know, and I know that that's not a good practice. But if you really do mm. want to sort of showcase, you know, your your dialogue or your, your style, it, it's certainly appreciated if you could write two or three pages at, at, at proposal stage so I can go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, really nice. I'd like to see more of that. So I might, my next stage might be a script commission that would, um, um, be just that and that you'd work with that producer who who pitched with you and we might talk in advance and I might sort of say the sort of thing to to avoid you know so there's easy pitfalls to avoid you know uh, for things like because what you're hoping is that script commission will then get made and mm. turned into a broadcast pilot is what you'd ideally hope for as the next stage before you go to series and there are some easy traps to fall into when it comes to pilot for a sitcom, because the temptation is to do this big, you know, setup episode mm. where you're explaining how the your main character got into this predicament or, or whatever, and you can spend so long in that first episode setting up the world and the incidents that led that are going to lead to the series that it doesn't really give you a very accurate idea of what a series would be like because mm. you just spent most of it just telling me what's going to, you know, you're teeing up what's then going to happen from episode two onwards. So that's something to be careful about. But yes, um, so so script commissions are very useful. And I sometimes I will see a script and go, it's not really what I wanted. Um, I might give some feedback and you can do another draft. But it's if it's still not working, I'd just rather than drag drag things on I'd prefer to just be direct with people and say you know there's some nice qualities to this but it's not what I'm after I can't really sort of see it as a series 
But then hopefully it will, we will say yes, please, to a broadcast pilot. And I've got one coming up, which I'm going to see recorded this Friday, actually, called Rum Punch. Mm. And um, so I started off with a script commission of that. And again, it's just really helpful to get the world out. You know, are these characters memorable? Um, does it really suggest a, whole, a world that we want to explore and that we're going to come back for more of? Um, and this writer also really wants to do it in front of an audience, which mm. is interesting. So that's obviously a great litmus test. You know, how does the audience respond? Do they laugh? Do they gravitate towards the to, to the characters? So I'm excited to see that. And, you know, the view would then hopefully it will be great and, and we'll go to series. A lot of it is my personal opinion. I will make the decision. Do I think that's great or not? Obviously, if um, no one laughs during the recording, that's um, some um, feedback I can't ignore. Even if I still really like it and no one really gets it, then I've got to be, you know, mindful of that. I've also got to bear in mind the the larger audience, substantially larger audience, which is the listening audience. Um, And not all shows have audiences either. Um, So, you know, it comes down to my judgment. How funny it is, um, and I can be objective about that as well it doesn't have to be 100% my comic taste um but yes it's just super helpful at that point to sort of think is do I really if I was a listener do I really want Mm. to hear episode two now or would I be Mm. like yeah that was fine that was fine but I'm not really sold on it so sometimes things do go to pilots and I don't take it further and um we have uh, a season of pilots that I mentioned in that press release, which are happening at the moment on Sunday evenings, Sunday tea time. And that was response to me asking for people to come up with formats that um, gave an opportunity to a range of talent. So there's sort of mixed talent formats. So I won't be able to take all of those through to series, but I'm hoping that I might be able to take one or two. So it's useful exercise and the listeners are, are getting to hear those as well. So it's, it's a great tool in the box. And because it's also competitive, it's just very helpful, extra filter to me. Um, if, you know, so I don't commit to a series and then regret it. And then it's another year until I can get something yeah. else on there. Yeah, that sounds tough, but, uh, but exciting as well. And that's really helpful to kind of hear that process. Thank you. Uh, very inspiring too. And I did want to ask you about um, formats. And again, not not an easy question, but because um, I was reading about some of the different shows that have been in development and also with BBC Sounds, and it's possible that listeners um, might have like latched onto a particular kind of show that they like and they know that format, but that's it. Mm. And actually, there's I think there's potentially more audio formats than people are aware of. So I just wondered if, again, it's, it's a difficult question, but if there's any audio formats that you think writers overlook in terms of how they're working, because they might just be thinking, oh, just get show or jokes or 30 minute this. What are some of the formats that might get overlooked or that you're personally excited about exploring that you may even not know how they're going to work for listeners now? but you're thinking about attention spans or what might work and you're excited to try for audio yeah well I suppose um I I commission such a a wide variety of types of formats um so there's quite a lot of different flavors so there are the kind of sketch based you know and and all of these have different forms they can take you know so um you know sketches can be audience or non-audience they can Mm -hmm. be have very a lot of sound design they you know 
you, you could find different ways to um, structure them. So you could say they all got two people in them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could come up with all sorts of rules as a writer. You think, oh, that's quite a neat concept. And it, it, it kind of forces you creatively in a certain direction, but it's quite a gettable premise for the listener. So it feels very distinctive. Um, you know, we, we've, we have stand-up shows where um, they could be mixed with interviews or sketches um, and a couple that I mentioned in the commissioning brief that are quite creative without art, you know, one is Ashley Story, What's the Story, mm. Ashley Story, which is non-audience, but has quite a nice bit of sound design. And it's quite conversational, autobiographical um, sketch show. Storytelling. Is it sketch show? No, story- storytelling, I suppose. And then Jess Foster Q, his, as a stand-up, you can hear some of her performance mm. in front of an audience. And then she's also chatting to people as well um and you can you can combine um elements so you can bring a sketch show together with a a sitcom or have some sort of um narrative arc over a sketch show so we've got one coming up called parish matters which will be coming this year which is from um, largely northern irish uh cast and writers and it's the structure of it is a sort of town hall parish meeting, but it's a brilliant way to introduce characters mm. because you have this sort of slightly formal structure to any any people you know who attended those sort of meetings, you know, or neighbourhood watch meetings or you know school based meetings, whatever it would be. There's usually a structure to it, and different people are putting up their hands and chipping different things in, and there's often some quite bumptious people who are sort of shepherding the agenda and so on. So it's a rich place for you to place characters, but also a gettable um, structure that most people can, you know, recognise that they've seen before. So, um, you know, there's so many different ways to to get the characters um, out there, and, you know, you can do it. It can be 28 minutes, it can be... 14 minutes um I'm, I'm, ju- I'm really open to being quite experimental and yeah. um you know you've got something like the skewer which is is pretty unique which is a lot of writers contribute to it to it but they don't contribute written words they mm. contribute ideas and juxtapositions it's a sort of clip based mashup show which is brilliantly sound designed and has won many awards um but that's that's um through clips of, of of actual things that have gone out, whether that's fiction or news, um, use of music and just bringing stuff together in surprising ways. I don't know. Yeah, there's just, just heaps and heaps of opportunity out there. And you're right that it's, it's not good to just sort of follow the form mm. of other things. You can create any rules you want as long as it's funny and, and distinctive uh, and gettable to the, to the listener. And there is some innovation out in the podcast space in in that comedy world. So, you know, you can cast around for inspiration there too. For sure. And I wanted to ask you just before we finish, um, any shows that you've sort of watched in the last year, watched or listened to that you particularly love? And I know that can be really hard and it might be hard to choose from your own roster. So it can be comedy in any media, but just any shows where you haven't even like necessarily had to have your work hat on. You've just watched it and laughed or listened to it and laughed or engaged with it and laughed and thought, gosh, that was really fun or interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, most most stuff that I've commissioned, I'm really delighted with and I'm really pleased about and um it is always hard when you're um all the air conditioning has just gone off in this room I don't know if you can tell it's always such a relief when it 
<laughs> it switches off. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, you know, the, probably the comedy of the year for for me was called Jonathan Pie, which um, mm. was was brilliant sitcom taking an online character that is known for his sweary online rants and then just trying to build out his world in a way that really excited and satisfied his existing audience. And also did a piece of work for me, which was perhaps changing perception about what Radio 4 comedy could be. You know, it's Ooh. extremely sweary. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, how on earth did that end up on the BBC? But it's yeah. also super smart and great writing. And then we've got other great, you know, auto, slightly more autobiographical things. You know, Janie Godley, Seabomb, um, brilliant storytelling from uh, Janie's Glaswegian childhood. And also she's coming to terms with having terminal cancer and... Speak of cancer, Laura Smith uh, did a fantastic one-off called I Don't Know What to Say, which is about the p- paralysis people have when they're confronted with kind of difficult news and extremely, extremely funny. Um, and all sorts of other shows um, that I could go on a list, you know, which aren't all, all stand-up based. Yeah, um, there's some wonderful recommendations, though, for people to start, because like you'd say when you dig into it, there's uh, I think the BBC is tremendous at creating a resource and... I like archiving things and um, yeah. pointing people to things, which is brilliant. So there's so much to explore. It's yeah, an absolute treasure exactly. chest. But that's it's always lovely just to have a few to start and then yeah. people can follow their own interests through, can't they? Of, of course, yeah. you know, and just to that's quickly, awesome. two others with scripted hat on, yeah. Icklewick FM, which is just about to start. Late Night on Radio 4 is a sort of semi-improvised sitcom sort of sketchy type thing. And then Nora Meadows' Week of Wellness was slightly mm. also a bit, improvise but you know taking a counsellor and um, her slightly flawed ways of of speaking to her clients so there's heaps of stuff um, to check out on BBC Sounds and you can have a look in this um, umbrella feed called Jokes which I've just launched Mm. when I've got a lot of fresh yeah I was reading about that and did you want me to talk about a couple of TV things or are we out of time yeah no absolutely if you've got time yeah I mean these aren't completely of the moment um, but uh, the change that um, Bridget Christie did on Channel 4 is is excellent sitcom. I, oh, I thoroughly enjoyed I that. that. Yeah. yeah, which was last year, which is brilliant. She's a great stand-up and she's done award-winning content for Radio 4, but that's a superb, very funny sitcom, which has got a lot of sort of heart to it. Hmm. And um, something else which I just think is a fresh take on using narration as a device would be um, Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Yeah. You've seen yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. And what sort of fresh, surprising thing, you know, story of a sort of Indian-American uh, school kid, really, isn't she? But she progresses mm-hmm. through her teenage years uh, and her experience at school with her buddies and her, her mum. But also the really novel thing of John McEnroe being the narrator, which is yeah. not what you're going to expect. And you think, how on earth, who who brought the two together? Yeah. And it's it's um it's hilariously funny his his voice over very used sparingly but it's very funny and and they do sort of explain why he is the voiceover at one point I can't remember if that's in series two or series one but I thought that's that's just sort of fresh and different way of doing sort of autobiographical stuff but then just doing something completely unexpected and and mm. having a you know John McEnroe of all people. Um, providing the kind of funny lines um, so yeah that that's just worth a look if you're a writer just to sort of see how playful you can be with that with a sitcom yeah I agree I think Mindy Kaling's a genius 
So, yeah. And um, like you say, I think that's such a lovely example. Now you put that to mind because it is like we often hear the advice that we want things that are relatable or that we can, you know, that are accessible, but surprising. And like you say, the John McEnroe narration for 13 year old girl is just a brilliant uh, example. Uh, mm. Such a fun show. And like you say, really, really funny, loads of heart. Uh, thank mm. you for bringing that back to mind. Great. And I'm going to check out your first recommendation because that was new to me. I missed that. So great. Mm. Thank you. Great, great. So I'd just love to um, finish up by asking where should people go to find out more about you or the things that you've been talking about today? As we say, writers, don't don't go and bombard Julia individually. But um, if people want to find out more about the things that you've been discussing today, what's the best point to connect with and come and find you in that sense? Well, definitely have a look at that commissioning website. Um, yeah. Do you want me to say the address again? Yes, if you don't mind, that'd be great. I will put it in the show notes, but just in case anyone's driving and trying to clock it. Sure, sure. Yeah, so so go to bbc.co.uk slash commissioning. Yeah. And then from there, you will be able to navigate to uh, look out for the Sounds logo. And it will say, I think it will say BBC Sounds and Radio. And then you can see a Meet the Commissioners page. There's a little bit of, you know, I'll be on there and a few of the others. And then if you look out for current opportunities, click through to there, you'll see the um, the briefs. And so you'll see mine and you'll see the drama one, you'll see the factual and arts one. So that would be a good place for you to look. Um, And within that document, you will see that I've listed shows that have um, Mm. going out um, in in those different slots. So you, some of them haven't gone out yet. Um, Some will have, and you can research those. Yeah. Check out jokes, the, the podcast feed on BBC sounds or wherever you get your podcasts it's just recently launched so we're just slowly adding stuff to that but also you could do worse than just having a little rummage around on the bbc sounds app going into the comedy genre and you'll see different comedy charts there some of that is archive comedy but i think you'll probably start to get your head around as you browse through you'll be able to see what is the older stuff and then what's the new stuff and start to get a sense of um you know the the stuff i'm commissioning and there's there's really no substitute for listening to it really and um you know you can listen on radio at 6 30 uh weekday evenings for our prime time slot and then it's it's 11 p.m on a wednesday and as of april it'll be 11 p.m on a saturday night as well but all of that stuff is also saved on sounds so really you just need to listen to plenty of stuff i am on x but tweet very sporadically um sort of like a lot of people hold my nose when I go on social media sometimes <laughs> yeah, a good but idea. I do try what I do yeah. tweet I t- tend to promote the content but as yeah. I say it's a little bit hit and miss but you could you know follow me and I'll, I'll try and you know get a bit more reliable with it and, and send out recommendations and any news updates and that sort of thing Wonderful. Yeah. And I do um, follow you for those recommendations because it can be easy to miss something in like the landscape where there's so many things. Mm. So I do find it really useful to follow you and be like, oh, what's that? And then I go and find out about it. And this is great. Right. So, thank you for right. doing that. Yeah, yeah no worries. And, and then and two other umbrella feeds. Comedy of the Week is quite useful. That's sort of what usually one episode from a series worth subscribing to that. And then Friday Night Comedy, that hosts the News Quiz Now show dead ringers and there are opportunities as a writer if you uh, enjoy satire and you fancy yourself being able to do topical Mm one-liners if you have a listen to that there are opportunities to get in touch with the production companies of those shows and um, try and get yourself some writing work on those oh and yes I must mention our open door show called DMs are open so it used to be yes 
News, Newsjack was a, the famous one, and this replaces Newsjack. And um, we're kind of relaunching it with a new host, uh, and that's going to start recording, I think it's next week, actually, or the week after. And definitely follow DMs Are Open on X, and they might be on other social media platforms, and they will accept open submissions for uh, for one-liners and sketches. So, um, And if you've missed the boat this time around, don't worry. But listen to it when it goes out. You'll get a better idea for when we do uh, another series of that. That's fabulous. Thank you. And obviously I'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you, Julia. I know you're like right in the thick of um, commissioning rounds and you have so many priorities and so many things you're juggling. So I really appreciate you generously giving your time today and giving us such a great insight into behind the scenes at that level. So much practical advice to take away. So many things that you made so much clearer and uh, so many things that I'm excited to check out. So thank you so much. Oh, good. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers.